0: What we're going to see parts of it today has been to 57 other countries already over the past 10 years. And as a result of this effort, millions of people have come to Christ. And we are certainly living, in my opinion, and I believe God's word says in the last days. And I believe the urgency is ratcheting up daily that we get out and spread the gospel to all the nations. Billy Graham, I think we all know who he is. He does not need an introduction. And I think we all appreciate his integrity. I think we all appreciate how he has kept himself above the fray of the, political, the politically correctness of the world. I think of the, of the human greed. I mean, Billy, I'm sure, has, could have a lot of money. He could have really built himself an empire. But I don't believe he has. Otherwise, the media would have figured it out. And they would have exposed him for what many TV evangelists have been exposed for. But I really respect him. I respect his message. I respect the way he gives it. So this, my hope with Billy Graham is really taking the evangelism crusade philosophy that he's done over the years. We've all seen his crusades on TV, haven't we? With the open-air stadiums and 50,000, 60,000 maybe at a time in big stadiums. He's taking that philosophy now and he's bringing it into our homes where he's giving us the media He's given us the message and he's given us a way that we can personally evangelize. This message today I've struggled over all week long because it hits all of us right in the very seat of who we are. And that is our desire, our willingness, our fears, our attitudes towards evangelism. Personal evangelism. I mean, me going to my friends and sharing Jesus with them. Now, I think we all say we do. But I've been so convicted in my spirit all week long that I don't. And I'm going back now to where I was 20 years ago because I've only been a pastor five years. So I've spent more of my my time sitting next to you than standing up here. And I know that my success, my efforts, as a layman, have been underwhelming. And I feel an urgency in my spirit not to make up for bad times, but to prepare for future because I really feel that we are ratcheting closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. And the time is short. And if you love your neighbors, and if you love your friends, and if you love your family, it's time. It's time to share the gospel. I want to run a video that's going to be almost a half an hour. It's an awesome video that shows you the quality. It shows you the, the, the intent of what they're trying to do. This is one of a few videos that he has put out, and we'll talk about it after. But I want to, I want to run this video now, and then we'll talk about it, and we're going to talk about a call to action.
1: know how many minutes there are in a day fourteen hundred and forty do you know how many hours there are in a week one hundred and sixty eight it's interesting to me that rich people cannot buy more hours scientists cannot invent new minutes you cannot even save time to spend it on another day you've got a little time today you say well I'd like to save it up for tomorrow you can't do that Do you number your days? Do you realize how important every single day is?
2: It all comes down to this moment for Super Bowl 42. That day, we were the underdogs. It was a game many thought was over before we even played. Unless
1: the Giants can come back here, the undefeated Patriots
2: are poised to make Super Bowl history. I knew I was open, but I wouldn't be open for long. Direct snap to manage. back to throw, the rush. As I looked back, it was easy to see me I was under duress. We're gonna be hit,
3: gonna be sacked, no, no, he got out of it, unbelievable.
4: I remember the first moment when I became completely blown away and intrigued with the idea of being a magician. That was the moment that I knew that I could actually be good at this. It is the most fun thing in the world to me. I tend to like questions a lot more than answers and what a magic trick does is it forces you into a place of questioning and it pulls the rug of reality out from underneath you to where you're literally left in a place where you don't know what is happening.
5: 14 and I recorded my first song my mom actually helped me to record it she had some recording gear and was the most amazing thing to hear yourself recorded I never thought in my wildest dreams that I would be a musician for a living I didn't even think that was possible
4: As a magician, you're very skeptical, and you realize that most of what's going on behind the scenes is fake or false. The idea of an all-powerful God seems incredibly silly. And when I talk to people that would go to church, I can remember thinking that they were just falling for a simple magic trick. It's like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain controlling everything. grown up, understanding how to make people believe something was real when it was really not. I am a master of phoniness. I'm a, I'm a charlatan by craft. But I began to ask myself a big God question. I said, God, if you are real, then I need you to bring me back behind the curtain. I need you to show me how it works. And I need you to make this so real to me that I cannot ignore it. never forget the day this man walks into my room and he said Mr. Monroe, I don't know how to tell you this but you have you have cancer I said, what? and he looked at me and said, Mr. Monroe he said, we cannot cure you of your disease my wife and I were we were in a bad place. God, where are you? I guess you aren't that great. I had been married for five years. I had just a three-year-old girl and a two-year-old little boy, and I needed I needed more time with my family. I needed more time.
3: Third down and five, and he takes the snap, pressure from the outside. He's looking downfield, but they are all over him, and he fires it off.
2: Giants drafted me in the sixth round of the 2003 draft, and uh, it was it was everything that I was looking for. You know, I had some tremendous challenges uh, through college getting on, getting the field, getting the recognition, and now I felt like you know th- th- this is finally it. So it was it was about that it was about that glory for me as as a rookie, and I, I just enjoyed every moment of it. Most people would like to think that, you know, money would solve all your problems. And I found that the money only multiplied the evils that were in my life. It just gave me access to more of the things that I craved the most. Whether, you know, if I had women, it just you know, it just made me that much more likable by women. If I, I loved it, I loved alcohol. Now I was able to get all the alcohol I wanted. I love, you know, now whereas maybe in time past I didn't have marijuana. Now I'm able to buy all the marijuana that I want. You know, I was one person in public and a a totally different person in private. My struggles with alcohol were a lot more than just having a good time and getting wasted and laughing away. I was totally, you know, just inebriated to the point where I couldn't keep my composure. There were times where my blackouts, you know, led me to places where I woke up the next day and naked in a bed and not knowing you know, what happened the night before. You know, I smoked weed every single day throughout my rookie year, and I began to not just smoke the weed, I began to sell the weed. I'll never forget those sirens in my rearview mirror, the sound and and how my heart dropped in that very moment, you know, being asked to get out that car and uh, and them searching the car and pulling out that half a pound of marijuana. And uh, it was a deflating moment in my life. For the first time, you know, as I was being pulled into that Fort Lee jail cell, I realized that I was broken. You know, I I was broken, and there was no one to look at other than myself.
1: On the outside, you look great, but deep inside, you're searching for something you haven't yet found. There must be something else in life than this.
5: when i was a little girl we kind of struggled financially my mom being a single mom with two kids at 18 it was obviously it was a difficult situation to be in when i was 10 years old my cousin who was 3 was like a little brother to me he was beaten to death by his stepfather how could i trust in a god that would allow something like that to happen it just spiraled into depression and I ended up hanging out with people who had issues like mine in their life and ended up getting involved in drugs and just continued to fuel that depression when I was 16 I was um, very outspoken atheist and really searched a lot of different religions and just felt so empty in everything whether it was in drugs or sex or even just deep thinking and philosophies it just seemed to all leave me really empty and uh, since there wasn't anything in life that satisfied the emptiness I just didn't want to do life anymore there were times I cried myself to see I made a plan to commit suicide. I just didn't want to wake up anymore. I just was tired of waking up and I just thought, I can't keep doing this. The day I planned to commit suicide, I came home from school early and my grandma wasn't supposed to be home and she just had a way of knowing knowing when something was wrong and she just looked at me and said something's wrong with you you're going to church And that was the last place in the world i wanted to be I hated christians i hated church and i was like there's no way i'm going to go to church and we got into a crazy screaming match and i just remember and if you'll just shut up, I'll go. And when it's over, then I'll commit suicide.
1: Millions are crying, what can I do to be saved from the pressures of life? The pressures are just so great. We have great technology to save time, but we have less time than ever. The tensions in the home, problems at work, health problems, making ends meet. We want to scream at life. We want to escape from life. Adlai Stevenson once said, It's not the days of your life, but the life in your days that count. You have so much time, but for what? The things that are broken in your heart and life can be restored in Christ if you put your faith and your confidence in Him. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead for you. He wants to give you guidance in your life. He wants to give you a peace and joy and assurance that if you died, you'd go to heaven. But first, there must be a change. You must turn around. That's called repentance in the Bible. Repent. Repent.
2: When I was in a jail cell, I really just knew I was at the end of my own strength. I realized I'm 24 years old, NFL special teams rookie of the year, New York Giants rookie of the year. And I got everything that anybody could potentially want. But it didn't lead to anything apart from decay and death and disappointment. And I was broken. You know, I was broken. And, you know, and I realized that, you know what, there was no one to look at other than myself. And at that moment, nothing else mattered. I just knew I needed something more. I just cried out in desperation and just said, God, all I know is I need you. And that following weekend, after I got arrested, I ended up in the back of a church in a fetal position, crying and weeping out to God. I could no longer resist God's love. As I received God's forgiveness, I knew that I was, I was new. The person of Jesus Christ was now a reality in my life. It wasn't just a myth. It wasn't just a figment. Or this, this idea, the forgiveness of sins is what actually sets man free. And I was immediately transformed. I knew that I experienced a, a love that, would, that had changed my life forever. And I knew there was never going to be any looking back for me.
1: Time is collapsing on us. How much longer do we have? The psalmist requested that the Lord remember how short my time is. My days are like a shadow that declineth, and I am withered like grass. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever and thy remembrance unto all generations. Think of it. God will endure forever. But on this earth, we're like a shadow. It's declining. We're all dying. From the moment you were born, you started dying. How much longer do we have?
4: The cancer doctor looked at me and said, Mr. Monroe, we cannot cure you of your disease. There is something, however, that we would like to try. It's called a bone marrow transplant. The problem with your body is that your white blood cells are making bad copies of bad copies your body is deceiving itself it's playing a trick on itself so what we need to do is we need to completely destroy your system and what we're hoping to do is we're hoping to find someone in the world whose DNA matches yours close enough to grow a brand new immune system a brand new blood system from scratch We're going to substitute someone else's perfect blood on your behalf so that you can live again.
1: God said, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. There has to be a substitute for you who will take the judgment that you deserve, the death that you deserve. And that substitute became Jesus Christ.
4: I was thinking to myself, man, my time is running out. I am dying of cancer.
2: It's been hard to deal with. Right now, Peyton is
4: three years old and Gavin is two years old. My two babies should this take my life early. I love you. They began the most vicious concoction of chemo, the goal of which was not just to destroy the cancer in my body, but was literally to destroy me. It was hell. It was a slowdown. I really am scared. I'm really trying not to be fearful, but I am fearful. I'm trying to be strong for my wife and for my, for my family. But uh, I'm pretty scared. waiting to hear from the National Bone Marrow Donor Program, 7 million people currently registered on the database. And there was one perfect match for me, just one. It was a 19-year-old female. They said, Mr. Monroe, your bone marrow transplant is scheduled for April 23rd. You're going to get a brand new birthday. He said, you were going to be like a baby inside the womb all over again. The nurses celebrate your new birth in the hospital. And I had heard that terminology before too somewhere at the churches that I had attended. But literally, I was going to be born anew. And then I'll never forget on April 23rd, they brought this bag of blood into my room. And everyone was hoping in that moment that my body would receive that new life, that new blood. I sit here today, 100%, completely cancer-free. And when they look at my blood today, they see a 19-year-old female. They see her. They see XX chromosome. I'm reminded of a verse in Galatians 2 that says, It's no longer I who live, but it's someone else who lives on the inside of me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith.
3: Save my life.
4: Oh, really? That's awesome. Save my life. I'm just i life and Jesus Christ whom you have said, I'm fully convinced of the claims of Jesus, as a skeptical person, and as an illusionist. I know that the God of the universe has brought me back behind the curtain just like I asked him to. Cancer was how he did it through my life. And there's a spiritual cancer that's eating us away on the inside. And we're all longing. We're all begging for someone to step in and to save us from that condition.
1: God looks at your heart. And God sees that you have a spiritual heart disease. And that spiritual heart disease is called sin. And we're all sinners. That means we've broken the laws of God. We've disobeyed God. We've rebelled against God. And because we've rebelled against it, we're going to have to face a judgment. Oh yes, there's coming a judgment. There'll be some day when you will stand before God at the great judgment day and you'll have to give an account of your life here and you'll have to give an account of what you did with Jesus Christ on this very night. Because there's going to be a judgment. But God's judgment... It's also tempered by his love and his mercy. He's willing to forgive you tonight. He's willing to give you a chance tonight. No matter how much time you've wasted in the past, you can still have tomorrow.
5: I was sitting in the back of the church down in my chair with my arms crossed and the preacher began to speak and everything he said was straight to my heart like I was the only person in the room and he stops in the middle of what he's saying and he says there's a suicidal spirit in the room and God wants you to know that he loves you all the hair stood up on the back of my neck I was like this is really freaking me out I gotta get out of here i got up and went towards the door after he dismissed the church and a man grabbed me by the an arm and he was a white-headed old man and he said god wants me to speak to you and he wants you to know that even though you've never known an earthly father that he will be a better father to you than any earthly father could ever be he said he's seen you when you cry yourself to sleep at night and when he said that it really shook me because I cried myself to sleep every night since I was 10 years old. If I didn't cry, I couldn't sleep. But he said he sees you when you cry yourself to sleep at night. And he loves you so much. And he sent his son Jesus to die and bleed on a cross to take all of the pain that you're experiencing on himself so you don't have to experience it he said do you want him to take that from you because he died to take it and i was like well you can try it well, you know he was like can i pray for you for that And i was like you could try it i don't really believe in all this but i know something crazy is happening right now and so he put his hand on my shoulder and began to pray and he said something like god i pray that you would wrap your arms around your daughter and let her know how much you love her something to satisfy the longing in my heart, and every time I come away emptier than before. And in that moment, something you just can't explain that you have to experience, where I literally felt like I was in front of the God of the Universe. And the thing that I noticed, first of all, was that this God was so holy and awesome. And I was so not that.
1: Some of you think that you're too bad to come to God. Have done too many things and gone too far. God's not waiting to judge you. God's not waiting to condemn you. God loves you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you, to shed his blood for you. He wants to put his arms around you and receive you. And he will take you and forgive you and love you and be your friend.
5: This God was so holy and awesome. And if God had said, go away, it would have been right. It would have been justice for me. I know it. But the craziest thing was that he's... Drawing me in and taking me into his arms and saying, I love you just the way you are. I'm not shocked by any of this. And if you let me, I will make you new. I'm just so thankful that God sees us different than we are. He doesn't turn away. But he still looks at us with love. Amazing to think that God is a father like that. of that all I have to do is believe it and say yes change me yes make me new
1: in Romans the 6th chapter says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord in 1st Peter it says who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead the sins should live unto righteousness he became sin think of Jesus Christ, this pure, this wonderful, the greatest person that ever lived, the holiest person that ever lived, the Son of the living God, became sin. He had never known sin. And he became guilty at that moment of adultery. He became guilty of lying, of idolatry. He became guilty of every ugly, dirty thing you can think of. Because it was your sins poured out on him. Through Christ, we can have the most fundamental relationship in life restored. You say, well, Billy, what in the world do I have to do? First, you must repent of your sins. The Apostle Peter said, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out. What does repentance mean? Repentance means that you come to God and say, God, I'm sorry I've sinned. And we're all guilty. Every one of us, everyone that's ever been born is guilty. Have you repented? Are you sure of it? It means that you not only say, God, I'm sorry. It means that you ask Him to help you to turn from your sins, to change your way of living, to get rid of those old habits you shouldn't have. And then you must come by faith. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. The word faith means that you totally trust The scripture says in Romans, 4, to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. I have to have righteousness to get into heaven. And I don't have any. Billy Graham is a sinner. I don't have any righteousness of my own. I come in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Not of works lest anyone should boast. If you can work your way to heaven, you'd get up to heaven and boast to everybody. Look what I did. I was such a good person. I got here on my own. You get there totally because of Christ. The fact that time is short calls for us to do something about it now. Because the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the accepted time. Not tomorrow, today. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. You can harden your heart. You hear a message like this and it can be very dangerous. Because you'll harden your heart. And the next time you hear the gospel, your heart will be harder and harder and harder. Come to Christ now. If there's even a whisper in your heart that you need to come, you come. And say, Lord, you have all of me tonight. I want to be sure. That I'm ready to meet you. Come now. Come now.
5: If you'd like to receive Christ, then you can pray a prayer like I did.
4: Like I did. Like I did.
5: Dear God, I'm a sinner.
4: I'm sorry for my sins. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe Jesus Christ is your son.
5: I believe he died for my sin and that you raised him to life. I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as Lord. From this day forward...
2: Jesus, I put my trust in you. And I surrender my life to you.
5: And I surrender my life to you.
2: I surrender my life to you.
5: Please come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit.
2: And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
5: Amen. Amen.
0: If you haven't prayed this prayer, would you pray it with me now? Dear Jesus. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry that I failed you many times. I recognize who you are. I accept you as my Savior. I accept the blood that you shed in the cross for me. And I apply it in my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. I got to tell you, I've watched this video three times or four times, and every time I've wept through the whole thing. i get to the, some of these parts. There is something that is so powerful about the gospel. There is something that when you share the gospel with somebody that so badly needs it, how it impacts a person's life and how they just cannot deny the power of God's love. The question I have, why don't we share it? Why don't we share this gift that we all have? You know, I started to look at this and I started to think about this, and I'm thinking, why? Why do we take this something that is so special, that is so awesome, that is so powerful, and why do we keep it a secret? Do I not really believe it? Do I really not think it's for everybody? Do I not think it's good enough for my friends? Do I not love my friends enough to share? Wow. And I tell you, this hit me all week long. And I struggled with this. And I said, God, don't! I don't want to talk about this because this is too personal. It's too hard to talk about coming and giving a message like this and then taking it out to the world. And he kept telling me, Mike, you have to. You have to share it. You have to take, you have to give the challenge because what I did for every one of you, for what I did for you, it's not about you, Mike. It's not about what makes you comfortable. It's about what I did for you. What's about the uncomfortableness that I did for you that you have to share the message. But why? Why don't I? Now, am I the only one here this morning that has struggles with this? Is there anyone here that struggles with sharing the message with their friends? Thank you for being honest. Why am I embarrassed to share Jesus? Why am I ashamed to tell my friends about Jesus? You know, we're given clear instruction in God's word that we are to do that. Mark 16:15, He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew 28:19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, <laughs> baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, understand, this is not just given to pastors and missionaries. This is given to all people. This is given to every one of us. You are given the charge of the Great Commission just as much as every missionary that was in our church this past week during missions convention. Yeah, we look at them as being, oh, they're the ones that are sent out to Africa. They're the ones that are sent out to Asia. Those are the ones that are sent out to the South America. But you're the ones sent to Charlevoix. And do you know that the life of a person in Charlevoix is as valuable to God as a person in Africa? Do you know that? Do you know that there's no, there's no respecter of persons in God's opinion? I'm sent to my mission field. Every time I get on the bus and drive the bus, that's my mission field. Every one of those little kids is my mission field. Every one of those kids that I coach playing basketball or whatever I do is my mission field. Every one of the friends that I rub against my shoulders with every day at work, my, my employment, my employer, my employees, the people that I work with, that's my mission field. So why don't I share Christ? Now, some would say, I do. I live a life that's good. I live a life, they could just see my life as how good of a person I am. But is that enough? Is that enough? Will that get them to heaven because I'm a good person? And what gets them to heaven is when we share the gospel's truth. And then we give them a question and we make them accountable. See, we're so afraid of judging people. We're so afraid of being called judgmental that we use as as, as an excuse of why we don't share the gospel. Oh, I can't ever bring a challenge to my friend because they're going to think I'm judging them. Well, can I tell you right now that you judge people every day? That I judge people every day? And when I go up to my friend, that uh, as we saw on the video here, of that, that looks good on the outside, and then I look at them and say, oh, I judge them to be okay. I judge them to be good enough because their outside is good. I judge them. And nobody has a problem with that kind of a judgment. Nobody has a problem when I look at you and say, oh, you must be doing fine, so you're okay. I don't need to share Jesus with you. But you know what I've just done? That act right there alone is that I've judged that person to hell. I've judged them to death because I haven't shared the gospel with them. And everybody's okay with that. Because I didn't make anybody uncomfortable because I didn't get uncomfortable, because I didn't come out of my comfort zone, I said, oh, you must be okay, and we're okay with that kind of a judgment. Does that make sense? But yet when I come to someone and said, are you doing okay? Can I help you with something? Do you know Jesus is your hope? All of a sudden now we're giving them an opportunity to answer the question for themselves. And now I'm not the judge anymore. See, judging is not judging the negative side all the time. We look at judgment as always, well, you're judging me, you're making me feel uncomfortable, you're condemning me, you're telling me I'm not a good enough person. Well, clearly that is judgment. And I don't have the right to judge a heart. I can't see in the heart. I just see the outside of a person. But that doesn't give me the right to judge a person by the outside and say I don't need to ask the questions. There's nothing wrong with asking a hard question. There's nothing wrong with making them accountable for themselves. When you ask the question, what are you doing? You're making them accountable for themselves. You're not making a judgment call. You know what? God will hold me accountable to every judgment call that I make. And if he's saying, man, I I put you there. I put you in that place of employment. I put you in that place in the job. I put you in place as a friend. For you to ask the question, didn't ask you to judge him, Mike. I just I just put you in a position to ask the question and to share the gospel and then let them answer the questions. So many times we don't do that because we're afraid that we're going to become across as judgmental and as hard. There's nothing easy about the gospel. Talk about being ashamed. Luke nine twenty six says this, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If I'm ashamed of Jesus now, he'll be ashamed of me then. Think of that. If I can't say that I love Jesus now in front of my friends, then Jesus will not say, God, he loved me in front of the Father. So now this raises a big question for me. Am I really? Now this is a, this is a question. I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm asking a question. If I'm not willing to share the gospel, if I'm not willing to publicly proclaim that I'm a Christian, then am I really a Christian? Think about it. If I'm ashamed of Jesus now, What's going, to make it, what's going to make the change then to say that Jesus is going to be proud of me then? You get it? You see how this works? You see, we, we are so overly sensitive in our society to call everybody a Christian. We're judging them all the time. And we're okay with that because I like to be judged positive. But I think we need to be judged honestly and answer the obvious questions. Luke chapter 9, if you go earlier in that same passage where I just read about whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. If you go a little bit earlier in that same chapter, in verse 23, it said, Then he said to, all of, to, to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? And then that's where he goes on and asks the question. Whoever, or makes the statement, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes into the glory of God. So this morning as we look at our future, and I really like what he said about This isn't God coming down and going to uh, pay us for what our past is. Because really, once we're forgiven by the God's grace, we now have a future to look forward to. And this morning, we've all had the opportunity to pray the sinner's prayer. And I'm assuming some maybe have for the first time or maybe recommitted themselves with it. Now, the challenge that we all have is, what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that? Do we really believe it? Are we really concerned enough about our friends that we're going to risk? We're going to risk something for them. Sharing truth is a risk. Sharing a gospel message is a risk. But it's well worth it in the end. See, the whole thrust of the Billy Graham, my hope, scenario is to raise up Matthews. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jewish man. He was a tax collector, meaning he was working for the Roman government. And his charge was to collect the taxes from the, his fellow Jews and then to give it to the Roman government. And that was what he did. And, and quite often, if not all the time in the tax collector's life, they were very wealthy because what they would do is that they would tax the Jewish people and then skim off the top before they gave it to the Roman government. So they were, they were not the Jewish person's friend. They were not good. Pe- they, were not good. they were dishonest. So, but Matthew was one of these guys. Matthew was one of these guys, and Jesus called him to be his disciple. Pretty amazing, isn't it, the fact that Jesus would call people like that? It gives me a little hope in my life that he might call me too. Amen. But the point of being a Matthew here is that after he was called by Jesus and after he understood the forgiveness that Christ extended to him, he was so excited about it, he went home and he called a party for all of his other tax collectors and all of his other sinful friends. And he said, I want you guys to meet Jesus. He turned my life upside down, and he gave me a purpose in life, and he gave me peace that I'd never extended before, I'd never had before. And so he went home, and he, and he called a party. He said, I want you all to come and meet Jesus. And if you read the Scriptures, you'll see that that's one of the reasons, that's one of the, the areas there where Jesus was called a, a hypocrite or whatever because he would eat with sinners and tax collectors because he went to the house of Matthew. Hmm. A lot of story there, too. The point of this is we are called to be Matthews. We are called to extend it, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the gospel of the message. You want your friends? Do you want to introduce your friends to your best friend? Yeah. So the whole strategy here is that in... Um, I'll, tell you the, I'll tell you the strategy and then I'll tell you how I would like to implement the strategy here in Charlevoix in our church. They're going to have, in the first week of November, they're going to have a national TV airing of one of these videogram messages. It's not going to be this one. It's going to be another one called The Cross. I haven't seen it yet. It hasn't been released yet. And they're going to um, show it. So what what we're asking people to do, there's packets. There's nine packets left back there in the desk. And in those packets, uh, there's some good training material. But the whole purpose here is that we would go to our friends if they're really our friends that that aren't serving Christ and we say, hey, would you come to my house? We're going to have a little dinner. We're going to have a little refreshments. We're going to have something to eat. And then we're going to watch a video to talk about hope. Would you come and be a part of this? And then they'll come. You'll feed them. You'll have friendship. And then we're going to watch the video and it." will be, I'm sure, as powerful as this one that will then bring the gospel message. So you're not preaching, you're not teaching, all you do is put the video on, and then at the end maybe you stand up and give a little three-minute testimony of yourself and pray. Now, that's they're going to do that, and I think they're going to do it in the first week of November. I checked the Billy Graham website. There are no, that I know of right now, television stations that are broadcasting it up in northern Michigan. There are down in the Detroit area, in the southern regions. But I called them, and they said, what we're going to do is we're going to send out DVDs. So that now, if you have Matthews in your church, what we can do is give them copies of DVDs. And then they can do that on their own. And I'd like to take it a little bit further, because I know that maybe not all of us are given the hospitality. Maybe we're not all comfortable bringing people into our homes. But what I'd like to do is I would like to to make multiple copies of these DVDs. And I think it would be very fitting if we would, those that would take them, write a little letter with those DVDs, a little handwritten note to your friends and family, and say, hey, listen, would you take this DVD home and read and watch it? Maybe even by themselves. And then would you call me after you watched it? Can we talk about it? See, what better way to share the gospel message than to take something that's already pre-put like this and trusted and good and to put it in the hands of people that can watch it on their own maybe a couple, three, four times. And then invite them to church. And then there's... What's so nice about this packet of information is that they have really done it right. That packet of information back there has a Matthew manual which will teach you how to be a Matthew. It'll teach you... Biblically why you need to do what you're doing. It'll give you step-by-step instructions on how to do that It gives you a video that more information on that It gives you some decision cards that people would be able to say I decided for Christ and it gives biblical strat- strategy in that it gives a living for Christ or living in Christ. This is a, a, a Bible study that you would take maybe the first couple of weeks with someone and you could do it in your home Maybe we could do it in the church I don't care where you do it, where we do it, but it can be done. They really have extended themselves, and this is all no charge, unless you want to give them a gift to help them cover the cost. But I have nine packets left in the back, and I would love it, eight packets left, I believe. I'd love it if we would have at least eight families that would say, I'll be a Matthew family. I'll spread the gospel. I'll do my part. Larry, can you watch that second, that third video, that minute one? And it will just helps us
1: make the call. All of mankind is crying. What must we do to be saved? Please save us economically. Save us. Families are concerned whether they can make it or not. We have tremendous deficits. Save us from terrorism and lawlessness. Crime, it seems to be everywhere. What must we do to be saved? Save us. People are lost without Christ. Do you see people, every day, separated from God, with empty hearts, searching for something they don't know what it is? That ought to give us a new urgency. Our love for others is not just an emotional feeling, it is a concern which leads us to action. The words of Jesus challenge me as never before. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, they're already white under harvest. I'm convinced that the greatest act of love we can ever perform for another person is to tell him about God's love for him in Christ. One message, Christ and Him crucified and risen again.
0: James chapter 2 speaks of faith and action. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds or action? Can such faith save him? What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Abraham. Was not, our, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. You see that a person is justified not by is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. You see, we need to put some action to our faith. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. When I read these scriptures, it really does go back to the original, one of the questions I, I raised. And that is that, you know, if I'm not fully engaged in reaching the lost around me, I've got to really question my own salvation. I really have to question it. How is God going to welcome me into the kingdom and say, Well done, thou good and faithful, when I didn't do anything for him. When I didn't share the gospel message for him, then how in the world is God going to welcome me into his kingdom? Now, I'm not putting a guilt trip on you here. I'm just asking a question. I'm just asking the questions. How can we please the Father? By doing his will. And his will said, go into all the world and preach preach the gospel. Make disciples of all the world. That's what we're asking us to do. Amen? Would you pray with me? Would you stand with me? Dear Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Jesus, the way You minister Your Word to us. We thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your mercy and Your compassion. God, I am so thankful that You made me Your son. That You've adopted me into Your family. That I can call You Abba, Daddy, Father, God. That I have that relationship with you. So now, Lord, I pray that you give me the desires of my heart so that I can share this same gift with my friends, with my family. Lord, that we then can reach out into this community and win it for Jesus so that they then can have the same appreciation that I have and that we all have in this building. God, I pray that you would give us boldness, that you would remove the fear, that you would take away the anxiety. God, that You would make it just second nature for us to, to make this such a part of our life that it just flows out of us naturally, that we want to talk about Jesus, that we want to share Jesus, not not inauthentically, but God, through authentic living in our hearts and our lives that we are so in tuned with You, that we are so much in love with You that it just flows out of our life. I pray this would be done in Jesus' name we pray.
3: Amen.